Matthew chapter 10. I was talking to a pastor friend late last week, and we were both talking about how uh, the latest vaccine mandates were affecting people in our congregation. Uh, both of us are committed to expository preaching verse by verse. As you know, that we've been going through 1 Corinthians for quite some time. Um, but at some point, we both agreed that, that there are issues that are just so pressing. We, as believers, need to stop and and, and talk about them. Um, I think the vaccine mandates that are coming out are one of those issues. Just so you guys know, this is not an effort to be political in any way. Uh, the vaccine mandates that are being issued right now have the ability to affect virtually everybody in our congregation in one way or another. Um, either either you directly in your household or your friends or your families or those in your house. And at this point, we really need to know what faithfulness is as believers. Uh, most of you, I think, probably remember that back in January and February, I was pretty optimistic about sort of the trajectory of where uh, we were headed in terms of the pandemic. Um, and and things were things seemed to be getting better. Case rates were falling. The vaccine was getting rolled out. And it seemed like sort of the worst was behind us and, and the future was bright. Uh, sadly, that is not the case. Um, it seems like things are are getting um, worse again. As of last Monday, the seven-day average of COVID-positive testing, at least in Washington State, is is at the highest it's been uh, at all, actually, in in, uh, in Washington State. Uh, in December, I think our average was like 3,400 uh, new cases per day. We're right, we're right around there, 3,300, something like that. Um, the death rate has not matched the same levels at this point. I don't believe it will. Um, mass mandates have returned and vaccine mandates uh, for employees are here. Uh, obviously, this is a very polarizing issue. Uh, I was on social media and you guys have probably seen something like this where somebody uh, posted, I support mandatory vacations. And the, when I first read that, I'm like, what? You support what? Like, and, and then I realized that pretty much everybody had misread that. And if you read through the comment article, it's like World War III going on down there um, because most people see that and they think it says mandatory vaccinations rather than mandatory vacations. Um, everybody misread this, but you can tell how intense all of this is just based on the misunderstanding in the comments. And so we need to understand that this is a very volatile topic um, and we need to live wisely in the midst of this. How do we handle all of this as believers and specifically vaccine mandates? Before we get into specifics, what I want to do is I want to look at what Jesus has to say here in Matthew chapter 10 to really set the tone for our discussion and set the tone and the attitude for us as believers. Here in Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples to go preach the good news. It's the good news that he is the Messiah. God is has sent him into the world. He is the long-awaited Christ, and the kingdom is here. And Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples initially about how they are to go out and preach the gospel in Israel and what they should expect. In Matthew 10, verses 5 through 15, he gives them instructions about what their life is going to be like as they preach the gospel in Israel. It seems like from verses 16 on, he switches gears a little bit, um, and he looks past his earthly ministry because he talks about what they're supposed to do when they stand in front of kings and in front of um, 
governors and that sort of thing. Well, the disciples actually really only stood before kings and governors after Jesus' ascension, after after he had gone back into heaven. And so I think what we see in verses 16 and following is actually his instructions to us. How do we understand our attitude and our role here? And he gives us some instruction about how to live in the world as believers. So take a look, Matthew 10, and we'll read verses 16 through 25. My goal is not to unpack this whole section, but really just to unpack verse 16 for a few minutes, understanding the implications. So verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. Verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? There's a, there's a lot going on here. But again, I, I just want us to understand that, that according to Jesus, how we are to conduct ourselves in this world on this side of the resurrection and ascension is, is we need to know four animals. Four animals. Interestingly, they're all in verse 16. Jesus sends us out into the world as what? As sheep. We're sent out in the world as sheep. Sheep pose no threat to anyone. We pose absolutely no threat to anyone. Frankly, they're harmless and unintelligent creatures who are dependent upon a shepherd to watch over them and care for them. Nobody fears sheep. And in the same way, nobody should fear Christians. Nobody should fear us. What we're going to say or what we're going to do or how we're going to conduct ourselves in this world. We shouldn't ex uh, um, exude any sort of threatening posture. We should exude the posture of sheep. That's exactly what Jesus sends us out as. And he sends us out into a world that's filled with what? Wolves. This is not a bug in Jesus' design. This is a feature of the design. The innocent, harmless sheep go out into a world that is filled with wolves. Wolves in the Bible are categorically bad. They are ferocious and deadly. They devour sheep. And in fact, a lot of times they don't even eat the sheep. They just kill them for fun, for play. This is the world that we are to go out into. Jesus knows this as he sends us out into the world. He doesn't say, I send you like grizzly bears out amongst wolves. If we're honest, that's kind of what we would like him to have said. Because we want to go destroy the wolves by force. That's really what we want. We want vengeance, but the Lord says vengeance is whose? 
the vengeance is his. Vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is God's. And we wait for his vengeance. We shall not dominate our oppressors. It's not us who takes vengeance on them. The Lord takes vengeance and we rest in that. The mission of believers as we account for our actions is to be sheep in the midst of these hostile wolves. And yet, at the same time, we're called to go out into the world and preach the gospel. And can I tell you something? The gospel will have success. This is Jesus's upside down kingdom. The sheep go out to the wolves and preach to the wolves. And at the end of the day, you know who conquers? The sheep conquer. The sheep conquer the wolves through the preaching of the gospel. This is Jesus's kingdom. This is the setup. This is Jesus's upside down kingdom where the innocent and harmless sheep actually prevail over the wolves, even though we are often slaughtered by them. How do we prevail? Well, Jesus gives us two other animals that we need to keep in mind. He tells us that we need to be shrewd as serpents. Shrewd as serpents. Interestingly enough, that's actually language from the Garden of Eden. Remember in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent was more crafty than any other animal that the Lord God had created. That translation, if you go back and you look at the the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, that is exactly what Jesus is quoting. He says, I want you to be shrewd like Satan. Well, that's kind of weird. Jesus is telling us to be like Satan. Well, not in his sinfulness, but in his shrewdness, in his craftiness, in his cleverness. That sort of thing. What is shrewdness? We don't use that word very much. Shrewdness basically means to be street smart. That's what it is. Be street smart, like a serpent. It's practical cleverness, and and really it's practical cleverness for self-preservation. So that we don't get slaughtered, so that we can keep going. Interestingly enough, shrewdness is something that Jesus commends at least one other time. You remember in a weird parable that Jesus gives in Luke 16 about the dishonest manager. You remember that? So there's this guy who's a dishonest manager. He hasn't been handling his master's finances very well. The master finds out and he holds him to account. And in between the time where he's found out and held to account, he starts bringing in all these people that owe his master money. And he goes, oh, you owe 100 measures of oil? Quick. Write down 50, and let's just square up right now. Oh, you owe 100 measures of wheat? Quick, write down 80, and let's just square up right now. And we we read that, and we're like, well, that's really weird. Is Jesus telling us to steal from our boss? Is that really what he's telling us to do? And the answer is actually no. What he's telling us is that the money we have is actually not even really our money. It's God's money, and we should use it to make friends And the idea is that we would be able to tell them the gospel. That's the point of of the parable, is the money that we have is not ours. We go use it shrewdly so that we have an opportunity to tell people about the gospel. That's really the point of the parable. He's saying, be street smart, be shrewd with your money, be shrewd with how you live life. And the serpent is the iconic animal for shrewdness. Serpents have a knack for self-preservation. They generally like to avoid being detected by humans. That's why they hide under rocks and in grass, and they try and do everything they can to get out of the way. They are quiet. They are stealthy. They are cunning. They are patient. And that's what Jesus seems to be getting at here. As Christians, we need to be street smart as we live in the world. We don't want to be naive. We don't want to be foolish. 
We are sheep in the midst of wolves, and so it's going to take some tact to get through life in a way that we are not harmed. We don't always get unharmed. Sometimes we are harmed big time, but we don't want to be naive. Now, just as a little side note, usually when we think of serpents and snakes, we think of venom and harm. So I grew up in the Tri-Cities, and there's rattlesnakes all over the place. So I don't like snakes. I don't like these even cute little garter snakes or whatever. I don't want anything to do with any of that. They've got teeth. I don't like serpents. But Jesus isn't saying to harm anybody. He's just saying to preserve ourselves. How do we know that? Because the last animal rounds out our existence. We are shrewd as serpents and we are gentle as what? Or innocent as what? Doves. So whatever qualities that might be frightening about serpents are eliminated by the dove. Doves like sheep are gentle. They're no threat to anyone. But more importantly, doves in the ancient world were considered pure and holy. In fact, you could offer a dove as a sacrifice on the altar. And of course, the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus in the form of a dove. He's pure. He's holy. The ancients would have recognized this. God's people are holy people. We are pure people as we live in the world. It's easy to want to retaliate in sinful ways or to to attack people, maybe in, in covert ways. What we have to understand is that's not an option for us, you guys. It's not an option for us to go to war with the world. Not as Christians. Leon Morris says that we need to be careful and clever when confronted by difficult situations, but never, ever sinful. Never, ever sinful. We don't respond to what the world is doing with sin in return. That's just not an option for us. That's not how Jesus' kingdom works. We might feel like we're making some sort of gain or whatever if we do that. The reality is it's always short-term and it's never a gain. We can't honor Jesus by sinning back against the world. It just doesn't work. We're not called to that. We're called to be innocent. Jesus says that if we follow these basic principles, we don't even need to prepare what we're going to say in front of people. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say in front of kings or governors or the school board or your boss or whoever. If we live our lives according to these four animals, really, it's not the Zodiac, but it's these four animals that Jesus brings to us, then the Holy Spirit will guide us in whatever we need to say. We don't need a clever response. We don't need a response that will shut up the crowd. We don't need some long-lasting, echoing, one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. We don't need all of that. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm pushed into a corner, like I want to like tell people off, right? I want that thing that's like going to zing them. And, you know, just, just leave this lasting thing. You guys, we don't need that. Jesus doesn't need that. He doesn't need us to have some sort of clever response. He needs us to be gentle, and he needs us to be wise, and he needs us to be holy. That's how his kingdom will advance. That's how his kingdom will go forward. And that's how we will honor him in his kingdom. So this is really just a foundation of what I want to encourage us with this morning as we talk about vaccine mandates. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you can't be gentle enough. You can't be holy enough. You can't be wise enough. These are things that we should strive for because these are the things that honor Jesus this side of the resurrection. And God will guide us in these moments. It's with that foundation, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about vaccine mandates. And and at the end, what we're going to come to are the religious exemptions that, that we've all heard about. 
Um, but I kind of want us all to be sort of on the, the same page. And so a lot of this stuff you guys know, maybe some of this stuff you guys haven't considered. Um, you've considered your own context, but maybe not the context of other people. So, so for some of you, or maybe most of you, this is going to be pretty, pretty generalized information that, that you already have, but I think it's going to be helpful for us to be all on the same page. Um, these mandates and these exemptions are also changing almost daily. Uh, the state of Washington is going back and forth all the time. Just as soon as they um, gave a vaccine mandate for the school system, it was several days later that the superintendent of public schools came out with all these exemptions. And it seems like the exemptions are sort of changing. Um, I also saw where there are at least two huge unions that have brought lawsuit against Governor Inslee over these mandates. So there could be this could this could all change tomorrow. So, so understand that. I don't think that means this is unimportant. I think that just means that we need to be wise. Further, the Biden administration seems to continue to expand who needs to be vaccinated in order to receive federal money. It's a moving target, which means, again, we're going to need to be street smart all the more as this changes and goes on. Before we jump in, I, I also I, I want to understand that, that even within our church, there are people on different sides of this. Some of you guys have been vaccinated. Some of you guys won't be vaccinated, and, and that's fine. Christians will differ in our view on vaccine and vaccine mandates. And in light of that, the biggest thing I want you to take away from this, you guys, is we need to show one another grace. Okay, We're going we're gonna to take different positions on all of this, and we need to be gracious and loving. Don't assume that the person that you're talking to has not been vaccinated or has been vaccinated. You don't know where they're at. And you don't know why they are at where they're at. So we just need to, to cover all of this in grace, cover all of this in love and gentleness as we seek to walk faithfully. You know that last year when we started meeting together again and in light of the, the mask mandates, the bottom line that, that we set as a church is it is up to your own conscience. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask, but we will treat each other with love and with respect. And that goes true with the vaccine discussion and the vaccine mandate discussion as well. So I just, I just want to preface all of that um, with a, a call to be loving and gracious. We need to understand that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. It's not salvation in faith alone and Christ alone plus vaccination or plus refusal to be vaccinated. We joke, but, but we need to be very clear where we're at on all this. Okay? So... With that, let's talk about the vaccine mandates. Why are we even talking about this? Because most state and federal employees have been mandated to be fully vaccinated as a condition of their continued employment. That's a pretty big deal. Their livelihoods, decades of service are now hanging in the balance over whether or not they get a vaccination. For Washington State Schools, the deadline, from my understanding, to be fully vaccinated is mid-October. I think it's the 16th or the 18th, something like that, which means you, if you get the two-part vaccination, you actually have to start your process several weeks earlier in order to catch up to that so that you are fully vaccinated and vaccinated for two weeks prior to that date. So you have to figure that out right away. My understanding is that Spokane City employees have until the end of the month to be vaccinated this month. Federal employees are also required to have the vaccine. And you think, well, I don't work for the federal government. Well, maybe you're a contractor for the federal government, or maybe, you're, maybe your company receives federal dollars. 
like Medicare or Medicaid. If your company receives federal dollars, then the federal government can dangle vaccination mandates as a, as a condition of receiving that federal money. So colleges that receive federal Pell Grants and other federal money will require their staff and students as well to be vaccinated. I saw where one of the local community colleges sent out a letter saying to online students, to online students, you must be fully vaccinated in order to continue the program. They don't even show up. They're online, but they receive the federal money and so and the state money, and so they are required to be vaccinated in order to enroll. Depending on how far the state and the federal government wants to take this, and again, the lawsuits are unfolding right now, almost every business will need to vaccinate as a stipulation of operating in accordance with the health department. This is really kind of Orwellian, you guys, in scope of what's going on. Now, there's a lot of people who are pushing back against that. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is how big it's going. And especially with the Biden administration pushing pushing federal federal funds or withholding federal funds as a basis, it could be, get really big really fast. This is the environment we're facing, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. As the Delta variant is raging, um, and there will probably be subsequent variants, there will be mandates for boosters and that sort of thing. And again, there are growing pockets of resistance. Um, I, I think we're going to have to learn to live wisely and know what that means. What about the vaccine itself? I just want to say right at the front, and this is really important for us, that there is nothing intrinsically evil about most vaccines. There's nothing intrinsically evil or unbiblical about vaccine technology. Vax vaccines work in a, in a wide variety of ways. Not every vaccine is, is the same. So when we think of, of different vaccines, they use a different means by which to trigger an immune response in the body. But we need to be very careful as believers to not just to cut them all out. If you're, if you're an anti-vaxxer for whatever reason, I'm sure you have good reasons. That's fine. But it's not biblical to say that just vaccine technology on the surface is unbiblical. So I, I don't think that we can, we can hold that. There might be some other reasons. There are some religions like Jehovah's Witnesses and others that believe that you cannot take vaccines or have blood transfusions, but I don't believe the Bible anywhere supports those things. I do think it's fair that we can be wary of new medical technologies until they have a proven track record. And the COVID-19 vaccine is one of those unproven technologies. Usually with vaccines, there are several objections as it relates to, to Christians. Um, one is that they are created with heavy metals and other ingredients that are typically considered to be toxic to the body. That's, that's just kind of how the vaccine is, is created. Uh, some of those chemicals are how they, what, what's called attenuate the virus, how they keep the virus from replicating faster than your body can, can attack it. Um, it lessens the impact of the virus so that you can build an immune response. Other chemicals are used simply to preserve the, vac the vaccine from the time of uh, manufacture until it gets into your body. That's just, that's just preservation. The biggest objection that I have to many vaccines is they are created using tissue from aborted babies. This is the biggest issue that I think that, that we have. Um, either the virus is taken from aborted babies or the vaccine is grown on tissue from aborted babies. This is all on the packet inserts. This is all public information. This is not a secret. 
Um, other vaccines do this as well. Rubella, rabies, shingles, smallpox, chickenpox, and others all have been created or manufactured or tested with aborted babies somewhere in the process. And we just have to know those things in order to decide how complicit are we when we take a vaccine. We're going to have differences of opinion when Christian circles about how complicit we are in that, and that's fine, but you need to know that that is part of the manufacture and testing process of many of these vaccines. You know what the sad thing is? They didn't have to do this. They could have made ethical vaccines, but they chose not to for whatever reason. And I think part of the reason is to, to, to make abortion um, just be commonplace in medical science. They could have made ethical vaccines. They chose not to. We are going to disagree. There are going to be Christians, good Christians. We're all going to be in heaven who disagree over the complicity we have over taking vaccines or not. Uh, we spent a fair amount of time, if you, you were in Sunday school this last, this last winter, talking about these things. Um, but I think it is just legitimate to object to a vaccine based on the use of aborted fetal tissue alone. I think that's one reason to object to it. I think, again, I, I want to say I think vaccine science is actually pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing what we are able to get the body to do and save lives. But there are some aspects of medical technology that are very concerning, and we need to know those things. What about the COVID vaccine specifically? Why not just take the vaccine? We have helmet laws. Schools already have mandatory vaccination schedules that we have to hold to. Why not just get this one so we can get on with our lives? Why not just, why not just do this? Well, the vaccine itself is not as helpful as we were led to believe early on. It just hasn't been. I believe it works to some extent, but it's not how it was billed. First of all, this is really interesting. If you look at the historical data of COVID cases versus vaccination rates, if you look at a timeline, even of just this spring, what you found out, find out is that COVID cases had dropped by 75% in March and April before there was even any vaccination. It had already started dropping off before vaccines were being rolled out in mass. If you just look at the historical numbers, and this is all from the CDC's website. So when we look back and go, oh, well, the reason we saw all this massive drop in cases in March and April was because of the vaccine, that's actually not true. It had already dropped off 75% before vaccine, uh, mass vaccine rollout. Again, this is not to say that the vaccine is worthless. It is to say that the return to normalcy we experienced this spring is not due in large part to the vaccine. It's due just to the natural epidemiological cycle. So we, we just need to be, we just need to be fair with the information on that. We were also initially told that once we reached herd immunity, something like 60 to 70% of people getting vaccinated, we could return to normal life. Well, that's not the case. That's plainly not the case. And now there's basically vaccine shaming happening toward those who are hesitant to get vaccinated or those who object based on religious reasons. We were told that the vaccine would prevent those who are vaccinated from getting the virus. Is that the case? It's not the case. We're also told that getting the vaccine would prevent people from transmitting the virus. That also is not the case. Those who are vaccinated transfer the full viral load of COVID-19. Now, I will say that those who 
are vaccinated and who get the virus again usually have an easier go with the symptoms. They do. That's just the science of it. But but again, the, the what we were told initially has not been true. And because of breakthrough infections and the fact that the virus is mutating, we are also now staring down an endless cycle of mutations and an endless cycle of booster shots. Again, how were those created? What were the ethical ramifications there? I mentioned that because one of the arguments from many people, Christians included, whether it's to get a mask and wear it or be vaccinated, is that this is how we love our neighbors. That, that I wear a mask for you and I get vaccinated for you. And what we're finding out is that neither the mask nor the vaccinations actually help our neighbors at all. Just just a little comical thing that I that I came across this week is that if you're wearing your mask and you can smell somebody pass gas, the virus, which is 24 times smaller than fecal matter, will go right through your mask. So we're, we're not helping our neighbor by these things. If there were a way to help our neighbors, I think that we should help our neighbors. But these things are not actually helping our neighbors. So when fellow Christians shame other Christians for not doing these measures because they're not loving their neighbors, what we find out is actually it's not helping our neighbors at all. So we need to be very careful the arguments that we are using. And so where we're at now is that jobs are being threatened over getting a vaccine that has very limited effectiveness and is manufactured in an unethical way. And again, I'm not saying that the vaccine doesn't work, but there's a reason that the CDC is still saying, if you're vaccinated, you need to take all these other precautions. Why are they saying that? Because their vaccine doesn't work the way that they build that it would work. We just need to be honest with that. Which leads to the exemptions. There have been vaccine mandates for some time. There have also been exemptions to those mandates as well. Uh, one of the most famous was a, a pastor, actually, who objected to uh, smallpox vaccination uh, back in the day because he had previously been uh, vaccinated with smallpox when he was a, a child and had a bad reaction to that. But historically, there have been really three ways to be exempt from a vaccine. There's a medical exemption. There's a philosophical exemption, and then there is a religious exemption. Medical exemptions are usually, not always, but usually given by a doctor for small children, those that have compromised immune systems, or those that have had bad reactions to vaccinations in the past. The philosophical exemption has actually recently been more gutted because um, the government has realized that people are using it as just a, I don't want to get vaccinated argument for whatever reason, whether there's really a philosophy behind it or not or any sort of religious objection behind it or not. And so a lot of times philosophical exemptions um, are gutted. Now, I also want to say something that this is really interesting. This is what the superintendent of Washington State Public School said when he was pressed on what is the difference between a religious exemption and a philosophical exemption, and he doesn't really know. How do you know whether this is somebody's religious belief or whether this is just their philosophy? What test can you put forward? And he has no idea what that test might be. And as believers, we understand that, that Jesus is our Savior, and then he gives us a philosophy for life, doesn't he? So Christians have a moral philosophy. The Sermon on the Mount is a philosophy for following Jesus. It's founded in our religious beliefs, but it is a philosophy for how we go about 
living life. So, so for Christians, a philosophical exemption and a religious exemption are kind of hand in glove. We understand those together. Why does this come into play, especially religious exemptions? Why do we talk about this? Well, this comes into a play because the government generally has allowed for religious exemptions for vaccination. When you say, well, why does the government matter? Because it's usually the government who's pushing the mandate, no matter what the disease is, whether it's smallpox or polio or whatever. And the government exists for the health, safety, and the welfare of the people and, and whether you agree with this statement or not, but max vaccination to get to herd immunity is one way to keep the people healthy. Just on the surface of it. It's one way. It's an obvious way to ensure the health of the people. But of course we have religious objections because of what we see in the vaccines. So, what about those religious exemptions? Before you claim a religious exemption to a vaccine, I think that you need to be sure that you do, in fact, have a religious reason to object to it. Is what you're objecting to grounded in your walk with the Lord? It needs to be if you're going to be honest and claim a religious exemption. Don't call it a religious exemption if you're just lazy. Don't call it a religious exemption if you just, you're just not sure or whatever. If you're not sure, that's fine. Own that and just say, in good conscience, I can't take it until I learn more information. But don't claim something as religious, especially as a Christian, because we're called to truth. Do not claim something as religious if you're not actually holding it for a sincerely held religious belief. As Christians, we can't lie about our, our, our view on things. I mentioned earlier that the use of aborted fetal cells is reason enough, at least for me, to not get the vaccine. But for Christians, also operating in a clear conscience is important. So Romans 14.23, whatever does not proceed from faith is what? It's sin. So if you cannot get this vaccine in good conscience, as you've researched it and understood that, and you get it instead, you are sinning. And this is where Christians might differ in their view of whether or not to take the vaccine. But what you put in your body and what you do with your body is important in the Christian faith. You remember the context of Romans 14? It was putting stuff in your body, like meat and wine. So if putting meat and wine in your body could be cause for sin, then certainly putting vaccines in your body could be cause for sin as well if you're not doing it in faith. I typically encourage people when they are seeking an exemption to say as little as possible to get the exemption. So far, that has been my my advice. That advice may change. Um, but I've encouraged them to say as little as possible um, because the more we say, the more liability we are opened up to and the more we are put on the defense. Let me just, this is, from my understanding, this is the vaccine exemption questions that the public school teachers are are required to answer. There's five. So question number one, describe the religious belief, practice, or observance that is the basis for your request for a religious accommodation. Number two, does your religious belief, practice, or observance lead you to object to A, all medical treatment, B, all vaccinations, or C, only the COVID-19 vaccination? You see where they're going with this. 
Three, briefly explain how your sincerely held religious belief, practice, or observance conflicts with the COVID-19 vaccination requirement. Four, briefly describe th- uh, the accommodation you are requesting. And five, if the request for accommodation is temporary, please identify the anticipated date the accommodation is no longer needed. And the idea is you fill these questions out and some guy in HR whom you've never met is able to determine whether or not you have a sincerely held religious belief based on these. This is called a religious test and it's unconstitutional. To quote a line from Star Wars, it's a trap. It's a trap. It really is. According to the First Amendment, and we are American citizens here, we're citizens of the kingdom first, but we are American citizens. According to the First Amendment, we don't have to give a reason for why we exercise our religion the way that we do. We are Christians, and so we want to give a reason for why we believe what we believe. But our neighbor down the street, who maybe just has some vague belief in God, that's all the First Amendment requires. He doesn't have to give any reason. He could say that the tooth fairy told him last night that Facebook will track him through the vaccine if he gets the vaccine. And according to the First Amendment, that's legit. We know that's not legit, but that's legit according to our government. The moment we start going down this road of of trying to answer all these things, we get in a lot of trouble. So my advice, again, is that you say as little as possible when asking for an exemption. Something, one sentence. I was talking to Steve this week. I encouraged one sentence. I will not take the COVID-19 vaccination due to my sincerely held religious beliefs, and see where that goes. And see where that goes. If you need to put in more information, then maybe you can put in more information. If you want me to look over something or a statement or help you to answer questions, I will do everything that I can possibly do to help you guys work through this and walk through this. It would be my joy to do that. But here's something else you need to consider. What if you lose your job? What if you lose your job? Because this is a very real possibility. And this is where you need to, to determine whether what you have regarding the vaccine and the vaccine mandate is an opinion or whether it is a conviction. This is where the rubber meets the road. Okay? If you are convinced that taking the vaccine goes against your sincerely held religious beliefs, it would violate your conscience, then there is no situation under which you should take the vaccine which means you might lose your job. Are you prepared to lose your job? Are you in a financial situation where you are prepared in case that happens? Because you, because if you're a Christian and this violates your conscience, you can't go, well, I'll get it anyway. I know it's a sin, but I really need to pay the rent. That doesn't work. Not in Christianity. We're not, we're not, we're not just getting bought off to sin, and we're not getting bought off to violate our conscience. We can't do that. So this this might be a good soul-searching time for you to determine whether or not what you have is a conviction in the Lord or whether it's just a really strong opinion. If it's just a really strong opinion, you guys, that's okay. You just need to know which one you have before you start making decisions. Because if it is a conscience issue, we're not going to sell out our holiness for a job or for any amount of money. And again, I want to be clear, there is room for differences on whether to get vaccinated or not. But we need to be very careful that getting vaccinated doesn't violate our conscience. 
as followers of Jesus, we uphold faithfulness to Jesus no matter what comes. No matter what comes. We need to be wise. We need to be innocent as well. Turn to Matthew 16 for just a moment. How long is all of this going to go on? I have no idea. I was very optimistic in February. I don't know what to think now. But can I tell you something? None of this caught Jesus by surprise. None of this caught God by surprise. He's not up in in heaven right now on his throne going, oh man, COVID. Oh, what are we going to do? Yeah, not at all. No, even through this, the power of the gospel remains. And so I just want to leave us with a quick admonition where we see Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He gives Peter a little secret. And the secret is he wins. That's the secret. He's going to build the kingdom and not even the gates of hell itself can stop the kingdom from being built. You guys, do you understand? We live in that same reality. We have the keys of the kingdom. We have the gospel message. You know what people need right now more than anything? They need hope. They need eternal life. They need to see a very weird people who are very heavenly minded, who are not afraid to lose their life, but who live by the truth. And they need those people to show them love, to show them grace, and to show them the gospel. Let's go live wisely. Let's go show them the gospel and bring glory to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom in these very unusual times. We pray that we would represent you well. We pray that we would be wise without being sinful. We pray that we would be gentle We pray that you would keep our hearts from anger and vengeance and you would give us grace. And Lord, even within our own congregation, that you would give us unity and joy and love toward one another, even as we might disagree with some of these things, that Christ would be honored and we would have unity here. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.